0: Hello, welcome to the Bore You To Sleep podcast, the podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. Woodcraft and Camping by George Washington Sears or Nesmark. George penned his novels under the pen name Nesmark and was a sports writer for Forest and Stream magazine in the 1880s. He was also an early conservationist. This book is for anyone that wants to go camping and might need a few tips to help them along their way. My name is Teddy and I aim to help people everywhere get a good night's rest. I bring this podcast to you to help you get a good night's rest. It is designed to play in the background as you slowly fall asleep. A very special thanks to messages from the following listeners during the week. Photographate Canada iTunes, Puge B, USA iTunes, Chess Ray, Australia iTunes, and Sarah from Harrison Hot Springs, BC, which was sent through the show website. Your reviews and messages are extremely kind, and I'm glad that it's helping you get a good night's rest. If you enjoy falling asleep to the podcast and would be so kind, please take a moment to leave a review and rating in your iTunes or podcast player of choice. It really does help me reach more people who need a good night's rest. You're also welcome to subscribe so you don't miss an episode, or say hello and support the podcast at BoreYouToSleep.com. In the meantime, lie back, relax, and enjoy the readings. Woodcraft and Camping by Nesmark. Chapter 1, Overwork and Recreation, Outing and Outers, How to Do It and Why They Miss It. It does not need that Herbert Spencer should cross the ocean to tell us that we are an overworked nation, that our hair turns grey ten years earlier than the Englishman's or that we have had somewhat too much of the gospel of work, and it is time to preach the gospel of relaxation. It is all true, but we work harder, accomplish more in a given time, and last quite as long as slower races. As to the grey hair, perhaps grey hair is better than none and it is a fact that the average Briton becomes bald as early as the American turns grey. There is, however, a sad significance in his words when he says, In every circle, I have met men who had themselves suffered from nervous collapse due to the stress of business, or named friends who had either killed themselves by overwork or who had permanently incapacitated or had wasted long periods in endeavours to recover health. Too true, and it is the constant strain without let-up or relaxation that in nine cases out of ten snaps the cord and ends in what the doctors call Nervous prostration, something akin to paralysis, from which the sufferer seldom wholly recovers. Mr. Spencer quotes the quaint old chronicler, Freussart, as saying the English take their pleasures sadly, after their fashion, and thinks if he lived now, he would say of Americans... They take their pleasures hurriedly, after their fashion, perhaps. It is an age of hurry and worry. Anything slower than steam is apt to get left. Fortunes are quickly made and freely spent. Nearly all busy, hard-worked Americans have an intuitive sense of the need that exists for at least one period of rest and relaxation during each year, and all, or nearly all, are willing to pay liberally, too liberally, in fact, for anything that conduces to rest, recreation and sport. I am sorry to say that we mostly get swindled. As an average... The summer outer who goes to the forest, lake or stream for health and sport gets about 10 cents worth for a dollar of outlay. A majority will admit, to themselves at least, that after a month's vacation, they return to work with an inward consciousness of being somewhat disappointed and beaten We are free with our money, when we have it. We are known throughout the civilised world for our lavishness in paying for our pleasures, but it humiliates us to know we have been beaten, and this is what the most of us know at the end of a summer vacation. To man of millions, it makes little difference He is able to pay liberally for boats, buckboards and body service if he chooses to spend a summer in the north woods. He has no need to study the questions of lightness and economy in a forest and stream outing. Let his guides take care of him and unto them the landlords he will give freely of his substance. I do not write for him, and can do him little good, but there are hundreds of thousands of practical and useful men, many of them far from being rich, mechanics, artists, writers, merchants, clerks, businessmen, workers, so to speak, who sorely need and well deserve a season of rest and relaxation, at least once a year. To these, and for these, I write, Perhaps more than fifty years of devotion to woodcraft may enable me to give a few useful hints and suggestions to those whose dreams, during the close season of work, are of camp life by flood, field and forest. I have found that nearly all who have a real love of nature and out-of-door camp life spend a good deal of time, talk in planning future trips or discussing the trips and pleasures gone by but still dear to memory when the mountain streams are frozen and the norland winds are out when the winter winds are drifting the bitter sleet and snow when winter rains are making out-of-door life unendurable when season, weather and law combine to make it close time for beast, bird and man it is well that a few congenial spirits should, at some favorite trysting place, gather around the glowing stove and exchange yarns, experiences, and opinions. Perhaps no two will exactly agree on the best ground for an outing, on the flies, rods, reels, guns, etc., or half a dozen other points that may be discussed but one thing they all admit each and every one has gone to his chosen ground with too much impedimenta too much duffel and nearly all have used boats at least twice as heavy as they need to have been the temptation to buy this or that bit of indispensable camp kit has been too strong and we have gone to the blessed woods handicapped with a load fit for a pack mule. This is not how to do it. Go light, the lighter the better, so that you have the simplest material for health, comfort And enjoyment. Of course, if you attend to have a permanent camp, you can reach it by boat or wagon. Lightness is not so important, though, even in that case, it is well to guard against taking a lot of stuff that is likely to prove of more weight than worth, only to leave it behind. When you come out, as to clothing for the woods, a good deal of nonsense has been written about strong, coarse, woolen clothes. You do not want coarse, woolen clothes. Fine woolen cashmere of medium thickness for coat, vest and pantaloons with no cotton lining. Colour, slate, grey or dead leaf, either is good. Two soft, thick woolen shirts. Two pairs of fine, but substantial, woolen drawers. Two pairs of strong, woolen socks or stockings. These are what you need, and all you need in the way of clothing for the woods excepting hat and boots or gaiters. Boots are best, providing you do not let yourself be inveigled into wearing a pair of long-legged, heavy boots with thick soles, as has been often advised by riders who knew no better. Heavy, long-legged boots are a weary, tiresome encumbrance, on a hard tramp through rough woods. Even moccasins are better. Gaiters, all sorts of high shoes in fact, are too bothersome about fastening and unfastening. Light boots are best. Not thin, unserviceable affairs, but light as to actual weight. The following hints will give an idea for the best foot gear for the woods. Let them be single-soled, single backs and single fronts, except light, short foot linings, back of solid country kip, fronts of substantial French calf, heel one inch high with steel nails, Counted outside, straps narrow of fine French calf put on a straddle, and set down to the top of the back, the outsole stout Spanish oak, and pegged rather than sewed, although either is good, they will weigh considerably less than half as much as the clumsy. Costly boots usually recommended for the woods, and the added comfort must be tested to be understood. The hat should be fine, soft felt with moderately low crown and wide brim colour to match the clothing. The proper covering for head and feet is no slight affair, and will be found worth some attention be careful that the boots are not too tight or the hat too loose the above rig will give the tourist one shirt one pair of drawers and a pair of socks to carry as extra clothing a soft warm blanket bag open at the ends and just long enough to cover the sleeper with an oblong square of waterproofed cotton cloth six times eight feet will give warmth and shelter by night and will weigh together five or six pounds. This with the extra clothing will make about eight pounds of dry goods to back over carries which is enough probably also, it will be found little enough for comfort. During a canoe cruise along the northern wilderness in the late summer, I met many parties at different points in the woods, and the amount of unnecessary duffel with which they encumbered themselves was simply appalling. Why a shrewd businessman who goes through with a guide and makes a forest hotel his camping ground nearly every night should handicap himself with a five-pack pack pack basket full of grey woolen and gum blankets, extra clothing, pots, pans and kettles, with a nine-pound ten bore and two rods yes and an extra pair of heavy boots hanging astride of the gun well it is one of the things I shall never understand my own load including canoe extra clothing blanket bag two days rations pocket axe rod and knapsack, never exceeded 26 pounds, and I went prepared to camp out any and every night. People who contemplate an outing in the woods are pretty apt to commence preparations a long way ahead. And to pick up many trifling articles that suggest themselves as useful and handy in camp. All well enough in their way, but making at least a too heavy load. It is better to commence by studying to ascertain just how light one can go through without a special Discomfort. A good plan is to think over the trip during leisure hours and make out a list of indispensable articles, securing them beforehand and making them stowed in handy fashion so that nothing needful may be missing just when and where. It cannot be procured. The list will be longer than one would think, but need not be cumbersome or heavy. As I am usually credited with making a cruise or a long woods tramp with exceptionally light duffel, I will give a list of the articles I take along going on foot over carries, or through the woods. The clothing, blanket bag, and shelter cloth are all that need be described in that line. The next articles that I look after are knapsack, rod with reel, lines, flies, hooks, and all my fishing gear pocket axe, knives and tinware. Firstly, the knapsack. As you are apt to carry it a great many miles, it is well to have it right and easy fitting at the start. Don't be induced to carry a pack basket. I am aware that it is in high favour all through the northern wilderness, and is also much used in other localities where guides and sportsmen most do congregate. But I do not like it. I admit that it will carry a loaf of bread with tea, sugar, without jamming that bottles, crockery, and other fragile duffel is safer from breakage than in an oil cloth knapsack but it is by no means waterproof in a rain or a splashing head sea is more than twice as heavy always growing heavier as it gets wetter and I had rather have bread, tea sugar, etc a little jammed than water soaked also It may be remarked that man is a vertebrae animal and ought to respect his backbone. The loaded pack basket on a heavy carry never fails to get in on the most vulnerable knob of the human vertebrae. The knapsack sits easy and does not chafe. The one shown in the engraving is of good form and the original which I have carried for years. It holds over half a bushel, carries blanket bag, shelter tent, hatchet, ditty bag, tinware, fishing tackle, clothes and two days rations. It weighs empty, just 12 ounces. The hatchet and knives that I have here will be found to fill the bill satisfactorily so far as cutlery may be required. Each is good and useful of its kind. The hatchet especially being the best model I have ever found for a double barreled pocket axe. And just here... Let me digress for a little chat on the indispensable hatchet for it is the most difficult piece of camp kit to obtain in perfection of which I have any knowledge before I was a dozen years old I came to realize that a light hatchet was a sin qua non in woodcraft and I also found it a most difficult thing to get. I tried shingling hatchets, lathing hatchets and the small hatchets to be found in country hardware but none of them were satisfactory. I had quite a number made by blacksmiths who professed skill in making edged tools and these were the worst of all being like nothing on the earth or under it, murderous, looking clumsy, and all too heavy with no balance or proportion. I had hunted 12 years before I caught up with the pocket axe. I was looking for it. It was made in Rochester by a surgical instrument maker named Bushnell. It cost time and money to get it. I worked one rainy Saturday, fashioning the pattern in wood. Spoiled a day, going to Rochester. Waited a day for the blade, paid three dollars for it, and lost a day coming home. Boat fare was one dollar, and expenses two dollars. Besides three days lost time, with another rainy Sunday for making leather sheath and hickory handle, my witty friends, always willing to help me out in figuring the cost of my hunting and fishing gear, made the following business-like estimate, which they placed where I would be certain to see it first thing in the morning. Premising that of the five who had assisted in that little joke, all stronger, bigger fellows than myself, four have gone where they never see the sun, I will copy the statement as it stands today, on paper yellow with age, for I have kept it over forty years. Then they raised a horse laugh and the cost of that hatchet became a standing joke and a slur on my business ability. What aggravated me most was that the rascals were not so far out in their calculation. And was I so far wrong that hatchet was my favourite for nearly 30 years It has been upset twice by skilled workmen and if my friend Barrow has not lost it is still in my service. Would I have gone without it any year for one or two dollars but I prefer the double blade. I want one thick, stunt edge for knots, deer's bones, etc and a fine, keen edge for cutting clear timber. A word as to knife or knives, they're of prime necessity, and should be of the best both as to shape and temper. The bowies and hunting knives, usually kept on sale, are thick, clumsy affairs with a sort of ridge along the middle of the blade murderous looking but of little use rather fitted to adorn a dime novel or the belt of Billy the Kid than the outfit of the hunter the one shown in the cut is thin in the blade and handy for skinning cutting meat Or eating with. The strong double bladed pocket knife is the best model I have yet found and in connection with the sheath knife is all sufficient for camp use. It is not necessary to take table cutlery into the woods. A good fork may be improvised from a beech or birch stick. And the half of a fresh water mussel shell, with a split stick by way of handle, makes an excellent spoon. My entire outfit for cooking and eating dishes comprises five pieces of tinware. This is when stopping in a permanent camp, when cruising and tramping. I take just two pieces in the knapsack. I get a skillful tinsmith to make one dish as follows. Six inches on bottom. Six and three quarter inches on top. Side two inches high. The bottom is of the heaviest tin procurable. The sides of lighter tin and seemed to be watertight without solder. The top simply turned without wire. The second dish to be made the same, but small enough to nest in the first, and also to fit into it when it is inverted as a cover. Two other dishes made from common pressed tinware with the tops cut off and turned, also without wire. They are fitted so they are all nest, taking no more room than the largest dish alone, and each of the three smaller dishes makes a perfect cover for the next larger. The other piece is a tin camp kettle, also of the heaviest tin, and seemed watertight. It holds two quarts, and the other dishes nest in it perfectly, so that when packed, the hole takes just as much room as the kettle alone. I should mention that the strong ears are set below the rim of the kettle, and the bale falls outside, so as none of the dishes have any handle, there are no aggravating stickouts to wear and abrade. The snug affair weighs, all told, two pounds. I have met parties in the north woods, whose one frying pan weighed more, with its handle three foot long. However... Did they get through the bush with such a culinary terror? And that concludes tonight's episode. If you're still not feeling drowsy, please feel free to listen to another episode. I look forward to bringing you more episodes very soon. In the meantime, good night.